today I have the distinct pleasure of hosting Claudia Huck, who is the Vice President of Data and Society at the Patrick J. McGovern Foundation. And she joins me today to talk about an incredible piece of research that her organization did in collaboration with data.org. And they looked at the shortage of analytic workforce not just globally in all industries, which is true, but specific to the social good sector. And in this collaboration, the research that came out suggests several pathways forward for helping us bring more talent into the social good space around analytics, and also how we can make sure that we are opening the opportunities of data to people from all different backgrounds, all different strengths, all different career paths and crossover. And I think that this is one of my soapboxes I get on a lot, is that there's not just one way to do data. There are many ways to do data, many different backgrounds that we can bring to bear on how we do data. And Claudia and her work shows some really concrete pathways that we can take in the social goods sector to help empower all kinds of people to take up analytics and really help us drive change forward. So enjoy. Hello, and welcome to Heart, Soul, and Data, where we explore the human side of analytics to help amplify the impacts of those out to change the world. With me, Alexandra Mannering. Thank you so much for joining me today, Claudia. We are here to talk about an incredible piece of work that you and some collaborators put out. And I was just sharing with you how I've already been sharing this resource with so many people. So I'm really excited to get into this topic, but I wanted to start with letting you introduce yourself. Thank you so much, Alex. It's, it's a great pleasure to be with you today. My name is Claudia Juch. I'm the Vice President of Data and Society at the Patrick J. McGovern Foundation. And the team that I lead works practically and directly with nonprofit organizations to help them advance on their data journeys. Which, as we know, is such a critical skill and one in which there is not a lot of nonprofit-focused support for really developing those data skills. And so the reason we connected, or one of the things that we've talked about as we've connected, is this research report that you did in collaboration with data.org about workforce wanted, the fact that we really don't understand where we sit with developing nonprofit and social impact-driven analytics. And what we do know is there are not enough people trained in this space. So I was wondering if you could give us a little bit more context about this challenge that we as nonprofits are facing as we try to advance and develop our analytic skills and workforce. Absolutely. I have been now in the data space for about five to six years, and I've, I've definitely seen up close how much of that a challenge that is for nonprofit organizations. It's a challenge for nonprofit organizations everywhere, but it's clearly exacerbated in places, low middle income countries, places outside the US and, and Europe as well. So there are a couple of challenges. One is there are simply not enough data professionals to go around full stop to satisfy demand. Companies are looking for these types of people. Nonprofits have a hard time competing when it comes to salaries and are not necessarily known as an employer of professionals that have a data background. So that is one. Then there is a challenge around for nonprofits 
what are really the types of people that a nonprofit needs when it's starting out, when it's further advancing. So I think that is an area that we could dive in deeper. And I think the third one, and not the, the least important, that we focused on when we curated and, and put together the Workforce Wanted report was we need a diverse kind of diverse employees in this space. And that it continues also. I mean, that is a, a challenge, I think, across many different roles at nonprofit organizations and as well as in the private sector. But it is one that is particularly pronounced in, in this area. And it really has an effect on the quality of analysis and the quality of work that's being done. Because if you don't have people who represent the lived experiences of those communities, it just increases the risks of bias, of misinterpretation, of even mystifying the questions. So I feel those are the three really topics that we were trying to address and create awareness around. That idea of broadening the diversity and types and backgrounds of people coming into analytics is a really interesting one because as you get individuals who've had very different lived experiences, have had very different academic backgrounds, have had very different demographic backgrounds, what you do find, like you said, is that not only does it reduce the risk of bias because people will understand the context in which data should be analyzed, but you also might get some really interesting new ways of looking at the data, of collecting the data, of generating really new insights and valuable information that we're missing when the same type of person is always the, the quote unquote, like data person, right? Exactly. I think that's that's exactly the case. I think one point that I want to make, though, is I think it's not sufficient to have one person that's representing the kind of communities from whom the, these data originates. But it's, it doesn't absolve us from setting up advisory committees and you know, kind of all those mechanisms, because one person is just one person. We both live in the United States. I have a very different background than you do. And, and so again, I think it's just also being kind of clear about that. It's a necessary but not sufficient step because exactly, God, for, exactly. God forbid I represent all women because we would get really misled very quickly if exactly. I was the sole voice of women in data. So let's, we'll sort of work through these backwards. From the point of view of broadening the types of people who are able to engage in analytics, what recommendations do you have that nonprofits can take to actually start to open those doors and broaden that out? Because, you know, in some ways we're talking about issues that go all the way back to what keeps people from getting interested in STEM fields when they're six, <laughs> let alone end up as a data professional. So what can we as nonprofits do to start to move the needle on that? If we are starting when people get into STEM education at the age of three or something, then I think we definitely have a challenge ahead of us as the nonprofit sector. I think I would start the other way around and say, so this report is about kind of four pathways. So there is new talent, that is talent that typically would probably go through a kind of a college or university education and then find their ways to nonprofit organizations as transitional talent. So people who have previously worked in the private sector and who are then kind of enticed to change careers and, and move to the nonprofit sector there, there's kind of upskilling and reskilling of people who are already employed by the nonprofit sector. And then there is a category that we call data leadership. And so those could be chief data officers or kind of senior leaders of data-related activities within a nonprofit organizations. And I want to start 
with that last book because I think it's about the awareness and the understanding that these people have. What we are seeing, it's very hard in nonprofit organizations to really start from the bottom up or from the kind of the grassroots level. I mean, mm-hmm. sometimes we are seeing there's a there's a kind of a champion, it's a data analyst or maybe senior data analyst, and they are very excited, but it's very hard for these people to really gain traction across an organization if they don't have that executive level support. But I think it's also the same is true to increase kind of diversity, inclusion, equity, and accessibility of those jobs that I think leaders need to have the awareness and the understanding that these are critical characteristics of a data team. And how can they, you know, through these other three pathways, then develop staff within the nonprofit organization? So that I think would be, for me, the critical starting point. That makes a lot of sense because one, you're going to have to dedicate resources to creating this. And that means that you have to have somebody in a position to be able to say, I'm either moving resources from this to this or to secure more resources and say, yes, we are going to invest time, people, energy, money into creating this team and and doing it via those other three pathways, right? The talent, the transition, the upskilling. But then I think also if you're going to ask new people to step into it, whether it's people who've traditionally not been part of a data space or people who are learning new skills to this, you also need the leadership to be able to say, we are creating a, an open space where we will be allowed to make some mistakes, right? to learn some new things, to try some new things, see what works, see what doesn't, and that we can share ideas, perspectives, points of view about all of this without judging or shutting down or canceling each other because you know we don't like what someone else said. And that does really have to start with the top to say like, no, this is going to happen because you can't expect somebody to, to bravely open their mouth thinking that they're going to get fired or ostracized because of something they said. Exactly. I think that makes so much sense to me. So there is the vision piece. What's the vision for the organization and what matches the, the mission and the longer term strategy? I mean, it, it ties to other work that I'm doing at the Patrick J. McGovern Foundation, which is what is really the the kind of the level of data fluency an organization needs to have and what is really appropriate for an organization. Not every organization is needs to become a deep, deep data organization. Some organizations should to really realize the potential that these new tools are offering us. So the vision is is the first part. But then there are also those those pieces. I think (laughs) this is maybe a term that's rarely used in these conversations, but kind of persistency. Exactly to your point, I think a lot of the challenges around data that we have seen in the nonprofit space over the last couple of years are I feel that there has have been the extremes. There has either been kind of an exaggerated belief of what these tools can deliver on, or maybe in other places, kind of a really fear of touching these tools at all. And so those are the two extremes. And I think we are moving away or we are moving beyond that. But I think it's for leaders to really decide or to kind of paint the vision, paint paint that journey to say, okay, yes, like you said, I mean, we need to experiment, but then we need to have clarity in terms of what are the criteria for that to be transformed or transferred into production. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we start with leadership. They need to have a vision that the organization is going to work for that's realistic. They'll have to culture, grit and dedication, that tenacity you were talking about and being able to resource this. But then as they're committed to moving forward, we get into that spot of who do the nonprofits actually need? 
So who should nonprofits actually be looking for, whether it's internally or externally, to satisfy these data needs? I, I always say data is a team sport. So you don't, ideally, we don't want to think about it as we are hiring a data analyst and that will be sufficient. So I think it will be useful to think about what is the combination of people that is needed within an organization. I mean, I think starting with a, like a data scientist could be a beginning, pairing those people up or pairing that person with program people who have deep expertise in what the nonprofit organization is about. So pairing data science capabilities with subject matter domain or domain expertise, I think will be critical. Engineering capacity, I think is needed later on. Data volumes and complexity of data grows that the nonprofit is working with. But I think those are some of the, of the skill sets. So for example, I mean, I have a, a small team at the Patrick J. McGovern Foundation that is working with nonprofit organizations. And so, for example, I have a data engineer, I have a cloud engineer, I have a data scientist. So those are some of the elements. But we are already looking at cloud computing. We are looking at larger and, and more complex data sets in our cases together with our grantee partners. Now, for smaller organizations, you know, I think that the, some of the IRS data shows that I think it was like 85% of nonprofits have an operating budget under a million dollars. Right? So we're talking about small organizations. How do they think about what resources or people or skills that they might need to make better use of data if they're not in the space where they're going to have a whole team of, of analytics and engineers and all of that support? A couple of thoughts on that. I mean, I probably would start internally, if that is possible, if resources allow that, to really determine where could data truly be helpful to the mission of this organization. So what are really the questions that data could help advance and, and help answer better or have help answer at all? And do they exist for this organization? And where are really efficiency and effectiveness challenges that data would kind of help make progress on. Um, so around the kind of the defining and the scoping and then thinking about, you know, kind of, so what is the data challenge that we are trying to solve? And then I would, if I had had a small team and a small nonprofit organization, I would probably go to an organization such as DataKind or maybe a, a local company that employs data scientists and data engineers, if that exists in, in your area and see, can I get a volunteer? Can I get a volunteer for a couple of months? And the couple of months is something that I, I'm not just saying, but I, I kind of I'm saying that deliberately because I think it's very hard to make progress on some of these questions if you are working with a volunteer that is only there for kind of if you only get three hours of somebody's time. So ideally, you want to think about is there an opportunity to really have someone for a slightly longer period of time, initially in an advising role. So to help the organization look at what they maybe have surfaced in terms of what are kind of what is their data inventory, what are some of the data challenges, and just to understand a little bit more, okay. What does that mean? What additional questions could be asked? And how could this then be developed into a strategy? And then I think it will surface 
does this organization really need someone or are there kind of simple tools that the organization really could use? I, I think a lot of organizations won't necessarily need cloud computing. Maybe it's just, you know, something where you, you just store data differently, you collect them differently, and it's simple statistical methods that you use in, in a different way. Sometimes I think that the biggest gains are just recognizing the data you already have. Exactly. How many nonprofits have all these Excel sheets on all these different computers that one person tracked this and one person tracked this. And if you actually just put them all in the same place, all of a sudden your data have advanced quite remarkably just by knowing they're all there and being able to, to answer those questions across the silos. I think that then looking at the, the first challenge you mentioned, the not enough data professionals and those four paths for developing new professionals, as well as some of the creative ideas that are in your report can also kind of help those smaller nonprofits think creatively about how to get access to some of these skills. So do you mind talking a little bit about some of those solutions, right? Like how do we get new talent or how do we help upskill to help address that there's just not enough data talent out there? So when we talk about new talent, that could be another option for an organization like the ones that we just talked about. So a lot of universities, I know this from UC Berkeley, for example, but also UC Davis, but they are kind of Carnegie Mellon. I mean, they are kind of universities all over the United States, for example, that now offer collaborations with nonprofit organizations. So within the data science programs, the, the kind of the practical credits, students have an opportunity to work with a nonprofit organization for a semester or two to, to do, I think, some of the things that I just described. And that has two benefits. So it gives nonprofit organizations access to this highly sought after talent on the one hand, but the other is also that it gives these students exposure to what nonprofit organizations are doing. And so the hope is that once they graduate, you know, people might want to stay in this space or maybe they go first to a private sector company, but at some point they remember, you know, the interesting work that they did with a nonprofit and maybe return and, and just recognize the nonprofit sector could be a potential employer at a certain stage in, in their professional lives. And some of the work, I mean, it's kind of working actively with nonprofit organizations, but also to have data use cases that are being taught, curricula that are kind of focused around nonprofit or social purposes and uh, environmental purposes. I think those are all elements to really increase the exposure of students around nonprofit data challenges. I think the other aspect, upskilling and reskilling, and I'm a big fan of that pathway too, because I believe these people have already made a choice. They have already said, well, I want to work in a mission-driven field. And so, and they understand what kind of the nonprofit sector is about, the constraints that nonprofits face, what this specific nonprofit is working on. They might come really with domain expertise. So a lot of the things that we are looking for, these people already have. So how can they get kind of upskilled or reskilled? And I think it's probably more the, the upskilling. So yes, clearly there are courses and there are kind of different, you know, kind of types of trainings that people could attend. And those can be uh, very useful. But I think the one of the challenges for nonprofits is really 
well, who's doing the work of this person while this person is attending a training? So I think it, it really requires true commitment and understanding that this is probably one of the best sources for nonprofit organizations to have access to increased data talent and to think about, you know, kind of what are mechanisms, uh, how to make this accessible for staff. I think the second one, and, and again, you know, to be fully, fully candid, then there is the retention problem. And so are these mechanisms where a training, a longer term training is paid for, and then there is an agreement that people will stay on for a certain period of time? What are the, the, the mechanisms or is this, I think, paying attention to job satisfaction and that this is really not only providing new skills for people, but moving them into a new role that could you know, kind of give them new exposure in, in the organization, I think, are some of the elements. I think the second part is, and that is what we are doing when we are working with nonprofit organizations on a project, that in addition to helping the nonprofit successfully complete a project, we focus on kind of building capacity as, as well. So for example, we are working alongside the nonprofit organization. We are not doing it for them. We are not a service provider. We are trying to kind of show them, well, this is how you can work on the cloud and, and kind of walk them through it. And then the second time they do it themselves, they can still call us or they can still bring this up in the kind of weekly check-ins that we have. But it's really about transferring those skills. And I think that is another aspect to highlight or two aspects to highlight here, I think is practice. So data science is not just a theoretical concept or an academic kind of subject, but it really requires experience and practice. And so everything that we saw when we were working on workforce wanted apprenticeships. So everything that combines, you know, kind of theory and practical application uh, will probably be the most successful. And I think the second one is now again, kind of talking about it from the perspective of the organization through so the organizational lens is not only looking necessarily at an individual, but looking at a team. So how can you build in redundancies, but how can also two people attend a training or two people, you know, kind of work on something? Because I think that as a leader of an organization, you want to make sure that you really kind of spread those skills and build in redundancies. You hit on a lot of the really good tensions of upskilling where there's benefits, but also some risks associated with this, with this idea of, you know, if you really invest in somebody, one, it could increase their retention, right? It could give them a reason to want to stay. It gives them a sense that you care about them because you're giving them skills that are useful, not just within this organization, but as we've talked about, are valuable all across both the nonprofit profit and commercial sector. But then you also might empower them to go find a new job that's going to pay them twice as much as they're getting paid working in the nonprofit sector. So understanding, you know, what will the return on that investment be? How do you protect yourself as an organization with very limited resources, but then also make that investment because you care about your people? I love that you, you know, you talked about that there are some some work that your organization is doing to help upskill and provide some training. And I would love to provide some links or resources that we could in the show notes to help people, because that's one of the things that I find is I think people understand the idea of upskilling, but it gets a little overwhelming to say, well, how do I do that? I actually had a colleague that I work with at a hospital who's a nurse, and she said, our, our tiny critical access hospital is in desperate need of some informatics. 
And so I'm thinking of putting myself forward and upskilling into that role because I, I understand the context of deep domain expertise and I'd like to develop that data. And she asked me, like, where do I go to get those skills? And it was interesting for me to sit down and say, OK, I think you would need these courses or you're going to need this. You'll need to know how to do SQL skill, you know, coding or whatever it was and kind of piece together what was it that she really needed? And she was asking if she needed a degree or not. So I don't know. Like I said, I'd love to link to some specific resources about what's good upskilling training look like? Where can you find it? And what's just the fluff? Like there's a lot of universities that have degrees out there that I don't think give people, like you said, the practical skills. They give you some really academic, really theoretical stuff, but they don't really necessarily prepare you to, to dig in. So I don't know what your experience has been with some of those upskilling resources. I think you're hitting the nail on the head. What we found when we did the research for Workforce Wanted was probably not surprisingly, there are a lot of short-term resources. So there are the, the online courses and there are the one-day or two-day workshops. And so a lot of that, and that is a very busy field in many ways. And then there are the three-year master degree or, you know, that piece. But honestly, the middle piece is less developed. And I think as funders and other entities are looking to enter this space, I think that is the space that we need to focus on, you know, kind of what is the kind of the midterm length that gives people like your friend sufficient foundation that she can then build on as she, you know, gets more training on the job, something like that. But but I think we, we definitely found, and that, that makes it sometimes hard to really point to, you know, kind of what are the great things out there, because actually there is still a somewhat of a in this particular area of these mid-size kind of with a lot of practical elements that are also specifically customized for nonprofit organizations. That second part's one that I've found even more so, you know, there's some really good like general data literacy training that is really designed to help teams already functioning, advance their data literacy, but there's not a lot that is specific to nonprofits. And I do feel that there are some approaches to data that are if not unique to nonprofits, that certainly the emphasis on different areas is very different. What's really important to nonprofits may be almost a non-consideration for a commercial entity and vice versa. Things that are really, really critical for, for commercial entities just don't feature in the functioning of nonprofit data. So that's, I'm glad I'm not just missing something that that is really, I mean, I'm not, I'm not glad that it's missing, but it's interesting that, yeah, my sense of not really being sure what was out there is because there isn't a lot of that sort of midterm. So maybe that's something we can work on fixing. <laughs> Hopefully exactly. funders will we'll start prioritizing that. Do you have any great examples of organizations that have implemented some of these strategies where you can point to, you know, where they started, they, they tried some of these things, and they really were able to make a meaningful difference towards the success of their organizations? So a lot of the organizations, a lot of the examples that I know and that I have seen are larger organizations. Mm -hmm. So whether it's the Urban Institute in the United States or uh, the World Resources Institute, and a lot of them also 
within research organizations that kind of focus on social and environmental issues. I think one interesting group in our current accelerator cohort, so we run an accelerator program that is a year-long opened up kind of the next call for applications for kind of expressions of interest. But this is a group, it's called NEST, and they work mainly with women entrepreneurs in the handicraft or in the in the cottage industry all around the world. And, and the project that they are working on under the accelerator is what's the level of preparedness of the effects of climate change for these, the, this industry and for these women, because clearly they kind of rely a lot of, on natural materials for their work. And what's been interesting and exciting and, and one of the reasons we selected them as a green tea, I think they are fairly early in their data journey and they have a kind of an early, they, they have some capacity, but they are definitely not as well resourced as the WRIs and, and the urban institutes. But I think they made a very deliberate investment and commitment coming back to the leadership point that I, that I raised earlier, that they think data is important for them. It's also, I mean, they are an umbrella organization. They are basically an association of a lot of these kind of small businesses around the globe. And they have realized that that data and new evidence is a critical element to influence kind of policymakers and kind of others around this industry. And so that is really a group where I feel the kind of the work with us has really advanced them when it comes to kind of cloud computing development of, of certain models. And they have made that commitment to continue down that road. And that is, I, I think, another piece, which is when we select grantees, it's important for us that the work is done by employees for the most part and not only consultants, because I think a lot of times what happens is that when a nonprofit organization embarks on a data project, they hire a consultant to do that. And so they are kind of preventing themselves from building up that in institutional knowledge. I couldn't agree with that more. And it's funny because a lot of, of my business work is consulting work for organizations. And I have this conversation with them where it's like, yes, I, I'm happy for you to pay me to do it. But what I'd really like to do is train you to do it. Because if I do it and then I walk away, are you really any further along? It's sort of the, if you give a man a fish, you feed him dinner. If you teach him to fish, then he can feed himself. And, and how do you help organizations start to take those steps into spaces that they aren't very comfortable in and empowering them to bring those skills on? And if it is in partnership with, you know, an external person like my organization, that can you really make sure that even if you're solving a short-term problem, that you leverage that to build capacity internally to carry it forward? forward yourself. And I love what the story that you told about Nest with this idea where they're realizing there is a big question that they have that they want to make sure they're prepared to answer. And really the only way to answer it is with a really robust data and analytics approach. And that that answer that comes out of that data and the insights that come out of that data work are going to drive, like you said, their advocacy, the policies they recommend, but then also how they support their own entities, you know, if they are an umbrella organization for all of these small groups and they find out that, in fact, they're not very prepared for climate change, hopefully that research will also show where those gaps are and they'll be able to direct efforts into those critical areas rather than just sort of putting a blanket carpet bomb approach that you know, will waste a lot of resources and may not generate a level of preparedness that's appropriate. So I like that idea that a not very 
data-focused group has said, we have a big problem and data is the way to solve that. So that's a, that's a really great story. Yeah, I was also really excited by that. Maybe one other kind of aspect that is rarely talked about that might be worth raising, which is, and this is for transitional talent. So talent who is currently employed by the private sector, but considering maybe moving into the nonprofit sector. And I think the nonprofit sector is different in the sense of, because there are many fewer data scientists or data engineers People need to play off much broader roles. I'm sure you're also seeing this in, in your work. And that doesn't appeal to everybody, but it appeals to a lot of people that I have seen moving from the private sector into these roles, that it is exciting to them that they are not just kind of working on a kind of on a small piece because they are part of a 300 person team or 30 person team within a private company. But now they have much broader exposure and much more ability to kind of really get into different aspects and kind of also broaden their skill set. So I have seen that except other than kind of the connection to the mission that people find rewarding, it's, it's that work itself that people find rewarding. And I think that is something maybe for people who are listening and, and are thinking about, you know, should I make a change in careers? That is maybe, you know, something that could be attractive for people. That's a great thing to bring up because I do think that in the competition for very limited data talent out there, nonprofits are not going to win the wage war. They are not going to be able to pay people more than, than data no. scientists are going to get paid in the commercial sector. But you can offer things that the commercial sector cannot. And focusing on those things that you can offer, I think, is really important. And that broad scope one, I think is a wonderful one because that is certainly me. I love being able to play this very transitional, translational role across all these different facets of data. And I would not survive if I had to just be like a data architect and like build and maintain data silos, like it would kill me. And so exactly to your point that that's going to be something that people would happily take a pay cut for to broaden those experiences and be able to have something that's much more interesting on a, on a daily basis. But clearly that also has implications then for kind of training and upskilling, yes. that, that it's not about necessarily building a specialist uh, right. skill set in a certain area, but thinking about maybe the broader role that these people play in their organizations. And that's why the, the team approach you discussed earlier is also really important, that you want to think about this network that you're going to build within your organization, connecting the domain expertise and the more technical expertise and saying, you know what, we may not have to take some of our frontline nurses and have them learn a little bit about data and data input and data standards to be able to feed into you know, other groups that are going to support them. So you want to think about that whole, the whole network of skills, not just I'm going to have one person who does this one thing and they don't do anything else. Network is a great key word to maybe highlight another aspect, which is so still, despite everything we have talked about, a lot of the data professionals are solo actors within their organizations or kind of like maybe they're one or two. So they are hungry for interactions with others. So we have seen whenever we create convenings or bringing groups together, I mean, we are running our programs as cohorts. So there's, there are peer learning elements and people are really excited about the ability to meet other nonprofit organizations who are maybe a little bit further along their data journey and to exchange and kind of discuss whether it's ethical implications, equity implications. I mean, things that are, you know, kind of maybe not as intensely discussed in kind of in the private sector. So 
that is definitely something. And I think that also increases job satisfaction and potentially retention because I think you need to have that community and that community needs to continue to be strengthened. I couldn't agree more. And a lot of what we were talking about really features into this idea of an analytic journey so that organizations are on this path of of growing their analytic ability, their analytic awareness. And I wanted to end because you had a great point when we we first met and we're chatting about even the way we talk about this analytic journey can sometimes limit how we approach it and solve it. So I was wondering if you would share kind of your framework, your phrases, your terminology for discussing our, our analytic evolution in the nonprofit space. Absolutely. So probably most of your listeners are aware with the term data maturity, and we have been using that. But as we were trying to kind of align, it started simply internally, we wanted to align around what are the terms that we are using with our grantee partners. And I think one experience that we had was so you have, let's say, the five stages of data maturity, and a lot of organizations realize that the first stage, and then the next start is, and boards might also say that, executive leadership might say that, well, how do we get to stage five? And so we thought, well, it might be useful to really think about this as a data journey. So it's a journey that is ongoing. It's an ongoing process of moving from a current state of using data and analytics to a desired next stage. And that is based on organizational needs and, and goals. So it's really about the origin and the destination in the short run while looking at what is the broader data vision. And being appropriate for organizational needs and goals. And so the the examples that I give, if you are an organization that is fighting for racial justice in your neighborhood, there is a question, you know, kind of how much data do you need to use? You don't have to become, you know, kind of super data savvy. Maybe, I mean, you know, it depends on how you approach your work. But if you are an organization, and it's not about big and small, but if you're an organization, even a local organization that's fighting deforestation, you might really benefit from using satellite imagery. So it it really depends on what is your purpose and, and how can you use data and what will it impact. But But then really defining where are you now and what is a feasible next step that you can take that kind of really would unlock data, the the kind of the next phase of data potential for you. And that's what we call the data journey. And when we talk to nonprofit organizations, I can really see kind of their relief in a way that they are thinking, oh my God, yeah, we don't have to be at the furthest end or we don't have to become like Google. It's really about, well, we are here, we are still very early. We are still in the Excel sheet, you know, era, but maybe our next step is to kind of build a database and then think about how can we apply kind of statistical methods across that. The implication of the word maturity is that your goal is to reach maximum maturity, right? You want to be the fully realized adult data organization, but by changing it to, as you're saying, what's our origin? Where are we starting? And where are we trying to get to? It removes that judgment that you're supposed to, there's this externally determined endpoint that you must get to. And there's all these phases you've got to go to. And instead you can just say, where are we? Where are we trying to get to next? 
And maybe we'll update our destination when our current destination becomes our origin and we can pick a new destination. Or maybe once we get there, that's what we need and we just sustain that. And I think allowing that freedom to say we don't have to be Google and we don't have to be, you know, the Silicon Valley perfection of artificial intelligence and neural networks and all of this nonsense that's happening everywhere else. We just need what we need to achieve in our our mission. Exactly, exactly. And that is also why when we describe the data journey, it's it's not necessarily about a specific stage or kind of a stage that someone can describe, but it's about what the nonprofits describing for themselves. So when they look across different categories, such as people, data sets, technology, leadership, governance, that they define where are we now and where where do we want to be next year? To do what? And I think that to do what is, is also for me critically important because ultimately it's about having impact and data is a tool to get there. It's, it's not the end goal. Absolutely. And it's easy sometimes to lose sight of that. And I always laugh when I have questions of people who will say, well, what data do I need? What dashboards should I have? Like you're starting at the end. Really, you have to start with what are you trying to do? What's the impact that you're doing? And then what data do I need to achieve? that impact. And only then do you even ask about the data. You have to be clear about that impact. I, I couldn't agree more. And it's also clearly about the data that a nonprofit has internally, but there are also so many data sets that are now openly available. So like you said, it, it really depends on what are the questions that you are trying to answer that really would advance what you are doing. And then one can look at, well, do you have the data? If you don't have it, can you get them? Well, thank you so much for this discussion. We have lots of links to be putting in the show notes, resources to send people to. So I really thank you so much for spending the time to share your wisdom, your insight, and some guidance for nonprofits, big and small, looking to find a new destination on their data journey. It was such a pleasure, Alex. Really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciated Claudia's concrete solutions that she presented for solving the shortage that we have of data professionals in the social space. And that she highlighted, very frankly, the conflict that sometimes happens with the fact that data professionals are in shortage everywhere. And to some extent, social sector is going to be competing with the for-profit sector for these professionals, especially as wages for these kinds of jobs go up, which oftentimes social sector is going to lose the wage war. But she highlighted ways that we can really emphasize the benefits that we have. And I couldn't agree more with what she said about sometimes new students in this space aren't aware of the work that they could do in the social sector. So they sort of default to the for-profit sector. And so we have work to do not only to make those students aware of the opportunities, but it can be a win-win because we can leverage new students to be able to actually bring internship opportunities, which benefit us as organizations, but also the new students to get them experience and show them really what's possible. And she highlighted, right, that there's a multitude of paths to bring in data professionals. We can create new talent that's not been created before helping people who've not maybe been able to access the right training or the schooling to do so, but also transitional talent. So bringing people who are in other careers into the data career field or bringing people who are in the for-profit sector into the nonprofit sector. This idea of upskilling, who do we already have on hand who we can upskill and help them embrace some new abilities and talents to help us as new data professionals? And also this focus on leadership, whether it's leading you know, from below 
and this really grassroots effort, but also the need for organizational leaders, team leaders to embrace this as something they're really going to be committed to and move the needle on. So thank you so much for joining. I really do hope that you take the opportunity to read the white paper that data.org and the Patrick Day McGovern Foundation put out. We'll link to it. It's an incredible paper. And I hope that you try one of these things, whether it's finding an intern, whether it's building a collaboration with a local university, whether it's committing to upskill some of your own people. Let's move this forward. Let's bring new people into the data professional space who have not been here before. Thank you so much. Breathe deep. Seek truth. You have been listening to Heart, Soul, and Data. This podcast is brought to you by Moroccanus, an analytics education, consulting, and data services company devoted to helping nonprofits and social enterprises amplify their impacts and thrive through data. You can learn more at moroccanos.com, M-E-R-A-K-I-N-O-S.com.